All right. What did you bring? I brought my first scarf that I bought in Liverpool at my first game I ever attended. Ooh. All right. What did you bring? I brought my Hungary jersey. Excellent. I can already tell it's going to be an excellent conversation. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Not Quite Strangers. This podcast is an opportunity for you to develop your curiosity, is bringing people who are not quite strangers together for conversation to build connection, develop curiosity, and challenge the status quo. My name is Valerie Hope. I am your host. And I'm so proud to introduce two really interesting, fascinating people to you today. Today, I bring to you Paxton Ballard, straight out from New York, New York, or I guess White Plains, New York, not New York, New York. <laughs> and Eduardo Hope, who you may have met at a previous podcast I did, Time to Come Alive, who is my older brother, and he is coming to us from Dallas, Texas. Um, the reason that I brought these two guys together is because they have a passion for something they're gonna talk about. And they only met 10, 15 minutes ago and started to have a conversation about it. So I'd like to bring you guys in so you can, first of all, understand what their passion is, what they have in common, and maybe you have a passion about it too. So if you're interested in subscribing to this podcast, please go to notquitestrangers.com and there you can subscribe and make sure that you get this episode and any others straight into your inbox. Or you can also subscribe to us on YouTube. So fellas, let's come back to you. All right, Paxton, you gotta tell us, what was the, so why was it so meaningful that you had the scarf that you brought to represent your passion for football? So a little bit of a backstory was, uh, the year was 2008, I believe. And I was just about 14 or 15 years old. And my dad took me to my first Liverpool game in England. Um, and as you can tell, I support Liverpool. But what's so special about this was my father being English, it's very much our culture, the culture to raise up your young lad to go to the game every weekend. Um, and it's a whole day. So you wake up first thing in the morning, you go down and you get a full English breakfast and then you walk to the pub and then you hang out, you sing songs and then you go to the match and then you, it's a full day event. Um, so when my dad took me to England, like being from New York, I had no idea what, I only heard what he did growing up in England. And to experience that for me as a fan at the time was unbelievable. And this was the first thing he got me say, oh, we have to get you a scarf because this is what you do. And if you guys can notice, it's super like dirty and brown. It's like it's like my little like baby bear that I go to sleep with. And I haven't washed it ever since I, I got it. But it's just kind of like a that's kind of like a superstition thing for me. Like the day I wash it is the day like Liverpool will crumble. So it's working because Liverpool is doing really well right now. Uh, um, but it was just, just a reminder of like the culture about the game and, and everything leading up to it that I fell in love with. Um, and the minute that I walked out, out of the, up the steps and I saw the pitch for the first time and I heard them sing, you'll never walk alone. It just changed me forever. Um, and that's when I knew that I was in the, in the right spot and I wanted to play football, but I just loved, I knew that at least I would always be watching it or, or supporting it. You knew that moment that you wanted to play or you didn't? 
I knew I wanted to play before that, uh, for oh, sure. Yeah. But that when I heard them sing you'll never walk alone which is how they start every game you know 50,000 people singing you'll never walk alone it gives you chill how does it go uh don't make me sing it <laughs> <laughs> if you want to plug it it's uh gary in the basement yeah we'll we'll put it in the in the bio after this but um okay. just imagine 50,000 people in unison singing one song i mean it's amazing mm. um and then to see my idol like steven gerrard play um was what solidified for me and I, I I remember that game so vividly as if I played in it I remember every goal every pass it was it was just a, a day to remember forever that's beautiful well one of the reasons uh, Paxton you are a professional soccer player and when I met you and I was like oh my gosh a professional soccer player I literally texted my brother that day and I said hey I met this guy in the coaching institute who's a professional soccer player and he's like, what's his name? So I gave him your name and he said, oh, he's a journeyman player. Blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't know what that means, but it sounded like this would be a great opportunity for the two of you to connect. So a lot of those, tell us about your object and what it means to you. Well, um, this jersey is actually a gift from my wife. Um, she and her family went to Hungary to visit a family friend was teaching there and they know that I'm a big soccer nut so um, they went by the um, I guess the Hungarian um, soccer museum uh, there in Budapest and and got me the jersey and for me well two things one I think the very first time I saw one of those sticker albums um, you know, where, where we're from in Panama and many, many places around the world, people like to collect stickers um, in anticipation of the World Cup. And the 1978 World Cup sticker album, which is really the only one that I ever collected stickers for and didn't finish it. But anyway, the only one that I collected stickers for um, I think I think it was the first page or one of the first pages was the Hungarian national team. And for some reason, it just stuck in my head. Who are these people and why are their names so weird? I couldn't pronounce anything. Um, and just very curious, just kind of stuck in my brain. Many, many years later, um, as I was catching up on the 1982 World Cup, which we missed because we had immigrated that year, and the 86 World Cup, I started reading a little bit more history of just football in general. And um, Hungary has a very big role in how football is played even today. So um, it wasn't that my first heroes were Hungarian, but it just made a big impact on me, the role that Hungary um, had early on um, and how it sort of disappeared um, after, after the 1950s. And so it's a historical, really a historical interest. 
Interesting. So yeah. Paxton, you should know about my brother. So he's referencing like 1978. So you can see how far this goes. But there are four of us in our family, four siblings. And Eduardo is our eldest brother. His passion for football has contaminated, <laughs> contaminated, but his, he has, all of us have somehow rubbed up against it. And even me, I remember at age 12, I wasn't into like the World Cup and all of that until much later in life. But I remember when I was like around 11 or 12 years old or so, all the cool kids in school were playing soccer. But not many girls. I mean, just girls just started to get into that when I was that age, right? Um, but that point, I was already like the biggest, most out of shape person. <laughs> Probably I could be. I hadn't been playing at all any sport, but because my brother was so passionate about it and he, you know, talked about it so vividly, I wanted to play. So my mom put me on a soccer team. And the first practice when they had us you know, run four laps around the, the, the field and I almost passed out. I knew the sport was not for me, <laughs> at least at that time. I wasn't ready for it. And plus I was so self-conscious about my body and I was self-conscious about my athleticism or lack of it. And I was with cool kids. So I dropped out after that practice. Actually, no, I think I went to the first game that weekend. And then I was like, no, I can't. But I think I would have been really good because I got back into it later on, um, but in my own special way. But I'm, I'm curious, so before we delve into the soccer piece, I'm, I'm just curious about what you've heard from each other so far, what stands out to you? I think what's, the World Cup is so pivotal in so many people's lives um, that it just, it, if you ask someone, they, they always know when a World Cup was in their life that made an impact. Um, and for me, it was a 2002 World Cup. I think it was South Korea. Um, and that's what genuinely made me want to play soccer professionally. <clears throat> it was, uh, so um, we can go into that story, but that I just know like everybody has, oh, it was this World Cup, and, you know, and for Eduardo, it was, oh, it was this World Cup that really got me started. And then even for you, you say, oh, you, you hear that the World Cup is around and everyone just seems to have such camaraderie around that time, you know, and that's just so cool, so beautiful about football. So tell us what what was it about it? <laughs> oh, um, well, it was the okay. So 2002 World Cup. To to preface this, I wanted to play tennis professionally growing up, um, and I wanted to you know being in New York, the U.S. Open was here. I wanted to be the next Andre Agassi, you know, whatever. Um, and then one year the, in 2002, my uh, the World Cup was on, and at that time. It was in South Korea. So the, the games were on like 2 a.m. in the morning and it was a school night and I was allowed to stay up. And at that time you had to buy them on pay-per-view. They didn't just stream them like they do now. So we had to pay for it. So it was already a big deal. It's like, you better stay up because we're paying for this thing. You know? um, so I stayed up. I was able to do it on a school night. So it was like breaking the rules. Um, and it was the game. It was the England game versus Brazil. And with my father being English, this was the first time I saw him light up when the game was on. The first time I ever saw a passion like that, you know, as a tennis player, it wasn't like, you know, it was nice claps and whatever, but like, <laughs> you know, my dad really going after and, and seeing the fans sing and, and there's so much passion behind it. And then to see them lose the way that they lost, they lost pretty heartbreakingly. Um, and it was just like, hold on a second. I got to get involved in this. This is what I want to do. Um, so I came home the next you know week or so and i just said mom dad i don't want to play i don't want to 
you know, pursue professional tennis anymore. I want to play soccer. And that was it. It just changed right there. But it was the World Cup that was just like a definitive moment in my life. Wow. Yeah. Um, for me, until 1986, soccer did not have, or football rather, did not have that, what was not the number one sport. For me, it was baseball. But those were the two sports that I played. Didn't play anything else. And um, I was able to keep up more with baseball living here in the United States than with football, just because it was easier. But then the 1986 World Cup came along and there was one match, the semifinal match between Argentina and Belgium. Maradona scored two goals. And after that, I didn't want to know about any other sport. And it had everything to do with how he played in that match. It, uh, it was a foregone conclusion, basically at five minutes into the match that Argentina was gonna win. But the way that he played, that just, I, I was not interested in anything else anymore after that. Um, so that, that was my World Cup transformation story there. <laughs> What, what did Maradona do in that particular game that made it so memorable? Uh, well, he scored the two goals that, that had Argentina win, but it was the way that he scored them, right? So the first goal, he, I can picture right now, um, the other, um, the other um, attacker, Jorge Buruchaga, has the ball on the uh, right wing, he comes in just outside of the penalty area, comes in from the touchline, and he passes diagonally into the penalty area. Maradona runs in, followed by two other defenders surrounding him, and with his left foot, just hits the ball past the defenders and past the incoming goalkeeper. Um, it was a very oblique um, strike. The goalkeeper was covering the near post of his goal and Maradona managed to flick the ball with his left foot to the, towards the far post. It, it was just a fantastic run, pass, everything. And I thought, how, the, how did he do that? <laughs> and, and then the second goal was just fantastic. The second goal, Maradona gets the ball um, at the top of the key, which is like the half circle, right on top of the penalty area. And, and then he just dribbles in, stutter steps, dribbles in, goes to his left. They're, pretty much trying to shift him over to the left of the, you know, push him off the, off the center of the, of the area. And it doesn't matter. He just, he just manages to left foot the ball into the far, the opposite side of the, of the goal. And there's nothing that any of them can do. He's off balance while he's doing this. 
that was it. At that moment, I think our dad changed the channel <laughs> and I didn't care. I just took the soccer ball outside and I started kicking it around. I was like, this is it. I have to, this is, this is my sport. So that was it. You know, what's so interesting to hear the two of you talk, both of you describe really this moment in time where there's a lot of passion, right? Either the passion of the of the, your dad, Paxton, right, the, or the, the people in the in the stadium, or Eduardo, this this moment where you saw one of the best players of the sport do something with the love and spirit and the skill, right, that lit a passion for the sport in you. Mm. So I'm just curious because you know I think the, the reason I brought the two of you together is not just because you play soccer. I mean, that was like tangentially, the, the superficial one is like, oh, you both play soccer, that's cool. But also I think there's a level of commitment and passion for the sport. I mean, if you're gonna play professionally, <laughs> it requires that at least minimally, right? And if you're gonna be for years and years committed to following and knowing and remembering a, two <laughs> a moment in time and describe it as, as uh, vividly as you just did, that there's some passion around it. So I'm curious as you're hearing one another, and first of all, you don't know each other. This is literally the first time you met. So what's there for you now in this experience? Like if you were to just bring us into the, what's happening in your head about this conversation, what's there? Hmm. I'd have to say, I mean, it's so funny, like like you said, Valerie, about how vividly he can describe that moment in time. I mean, how many years ago was it? But it's just so vivid. And and to go back to the, the first game that I went to, I could relive every single goal that I saw. And I even hear the way that they hit the ball in that moment. It's, it's just like, it's so cool to know that and everyone involved in football has these moments. I mean, there's always a moment that you remember that sticks out to you, like that you just will remember forever as a player, as a, as a supporter, as, as you watch. And so for him to go through those two goals and vividly explain, you know, what it was that happened must've made a profound impact on them, you know? So it's, uh, it's cool that that has that such like potency, the game. Yeah. Um, and right now, you know, I'm just kind of, Swimming in the past right now, the one of the one of the memories I, I have of Liverpool is um, I think it was the FA Cup 1989 FA Cup uh, against Everton. I want to say it was the final of the FA Cup, um, which um, I believe is like the oldest. Um, cup competition in the world. Anyway, um, I remember that final because I just happened to chance on it. It was eighty nine. Eighty nine was it? Eighty nine or ninety? It was eighty nine. It was eighty nine cup final, and. I just happened to chance on it on TV, which was weird. Living where we're living in, in Alabama, that I would be able to watch the FA Cup final 
Um, and it was Liverpool and Everton. Some of my favorite players um, in England were playing on both of those teams, right? So, so um, and one of the players um, that I tried really hard to keep up with, this was after the 1986 World Cup, was a guy by the name of John Barnes who played for Liverpool and um, another by the name of Peter Beardsley. Peter Beardsley also played for Liverpool and there was another guy, um, uh, what's his name, Ian? Rush. Ian Rush, that's right. Ian Rush, um, who, who was their top striker. They won, they won that uh, cup final. Um, it was exciting because that was the first live match that I saw of, um, of English football, first ever. And, um, and I was seeing some of my favorite players, right? So, um, and in the very following year, it was the 1990 World Cup. By that time, I was already at university and just, you know, trying really hard to catch the matches and seeing which of those players had made it to the national team. So th those are the things that, that I have in my head right now, kind of random, but I suppose that's my Liverpool collection connection. And the other thing that I wanted to ask was, um, how long is your real name, Paxton? How long? Yes. You um, don't have like 11 names. No, no, no. <laughs> no, it's just the, the traditional two, yeah. <laughs> okay. I was wondering how, how big of a fan your dad was. No. Okay. Just wondering. Because, <laughs> you know, I've, I've read about people who's, um, who are really, really hardcore about their team and they name their kid with all 11 names of their starting <laughs> 11 players of the team. <laughs> Okay, so hang on a second. Eduardo, so if you had to guess, although Paxton, you've already said that you don't have other additional names, but if you had to add names to Paxton Ballard, which names would you add? Uh, well, now that I know that um, he's from the generation that saw Steven Gerrard playing, um, or that started from there, um, um, Hmm. I, I suppose it would be, you know, Steven Gerrard's name would be one of them. You know, be the either, only one. <laughs> the only one. He'd be the, the only one. one. <laughs> Your favorite player, right? Yeah, he's, he's in a class of his own in my book. So. A class of his own. Um, yeah, yeah, he's uh, he was something else. He, uh, I don't know how he scored so many long distance goals. He was just nuts just went for it man. he was bold you know like it was about if he didn't know who he was i mean this man would shoot from 40 yards out like which is and he would just go for it and, and it would go in you know and it'd be like you know but if you know but it was cool because so many no one had the 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 boldness to do that you know like why would you shoot from that long away you know you're crazy you know we've got to get a, a better calculated risk and he just had the confidence in his right foot to do it and that's what made him so i was watching a documentary on him one time and when he was in the he was on trial kind of with liverpool and he was he was playing with the first team um and what they've st what stood out to some of these top players 
at the time was like he was you, normally when you get a young kid in they're very timid they're very shy tentative yeah and the first thing he did was as soon as he got the ball he pinged it 40 yards or he did something like <laughs> as if he'd been there his whole life and it was just like at that moment they knew he was going to be a big player and he he was just he was everything that I wanted to be as a footballer as a as a leader as a captain I just loved everything about him um he, he was never in the in the newspapers for the wrong reasons he was always there for football you know um, he had a couple scuffles here and there, but it was just like, it was a great idol for me to have and to, to aspire to be growing up and watching him play. To see him play live was just the, the game changer for me. Cool. And I think if I remember anything, as a lot of those taught me over the years, what I remember anyways, um, the, the kind of the cornerstone of, of, of British soccer is these long shots, right? <laughs> Isn't that part of, you've, you've told me that before. Not the long shots. More like the long passes. passes. Okay, let me call them passes. They used to get on my, well, they still do get on my nerves, but anyway, <laughs> um, it's, thankfully, it's, um, it's, it's not the same way these days as it used to be. It used to be, um, okay, case in point, 1986 World Cup, I was very, I was very disappointed in the English national team, that World Cup. I thought they had wasted a, a, a great group of players. Um, I thought that they were kind of lackadaisical in the way that they approached uh, the game. Um, for example, the most famous game, the game against Argentina, which Maradona scores, the two most famous goals in the World Cup history goal with the hand and the other one where he just dribbles, you know, from from uh, midfield into the goal. Um, there were just a lot of long ball passing that was going nowhere. And um, that kind of encapsulated for me what did not work about not just English football, just British football generally at that time. And then, uh, and that I think pretty much continued until the mid nineties. And then something clicked finally. And at that time, mid nineties, um, I would say it's because a lot of uh, um, um, European coaches started filtering into um, the English uh, Premier League, and uh, especially the Premier League, started filtering in there, bringing in their new ways and methods, and, uh, and then gradually transformed English football and culture. So now you don't see as much of that long ball business. And that's, and that's not just the long ball too. I find I eventually discovered that there are some other things uh, about how um, um, English footballers prepared for the games and you know after the game, all kinds of different things shifted after more European coaches started coming in, European coaches and players. But um, um, that that's what I I meant by that you know long long passing thing, uh, Valerie, because okay. it just got on my nerves. God, what a waste, <laughs> waste, 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 waste. <laughs> Anyway, it was just a pet peeve. Uh, just the other day, I was watching the, uh, 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 you know, just replaying 
that whole game, Argentina against uh, England, 1986 World Cup. You are watching it again? I, periodically, I watch my favorite matches. Um, um, just to, because I like to watch them. I don't watch all, every match. I, I watch my favorite matches. Um, Argentina, England is one of them, and Brazil, France is the other one. From 1986 World Cup, those are my two. Um, and and um, Argentina, Germany from the final of the 86 World Cup. Those are my two favorites. Or I'll watch the whole thing because I'm not bored. I'm actually like engaged. Like what actually happened here? Why did they do that? Why did the, why did the coach not change that player at halftime? You know, stuff like that. Because now I'm starting to see things um, or learning to see things from a coaching point of view because that's what I want to develop next. Paxson, have you watched those matches? Not that far back. And to be honest, I mean, the um, I mean, the game against England, the Argentinian game against England was is, is probably one of the most famous, um, you know, like what Eduardo said. I mean, the goals that he scored were one, controversial, and then two – you couldn't take it away from me. It was probably one of the best goals we've ever seen. I mean, you see them on every highlight tape ever to this day. I mean, they're invincible. It'll live forever. And and right now, I think, you know, obviously the, the football world is mourning the loss of Diego Maradona because it was, for me, that would be like me, my generation losing a, a Lionel Messi or a Cristiano Ronaldo. I mean, like yeah. such impact on football. And, and um, so, you know, it's so big that you see <clears> – <throat> Like uh, in Argentina, there's two very big rival clubs, uh, Boca Juniors and, and River Plate. And they actually came together in the middle of the pandemic and they sang songs about Maradona because he played for both, where it was where they're the most one of the most violent derbies in the world. Um, mm-hmm. And for one man to have an impact like that, it was sad for him to go the way that he did um, because he was such a blessing to the, the world of football. But um, I haven't watched those games, but I just know the potency that they had, you know, um, and, and what he brought to the sport. Um, when I told my dad that Maradona died, however, he, I have to admit, he, there was a part of him that paused and said, well, because of the handball that he did against England that knocked him out of the world cup. So like <laughs> you couldn't take the passion out of him. And then he goes, Oh, well, you know, that's, that's pretty bad. But it, there was just kind of like that last dig at him because they, as if he, as if he deserved it, but. <laughs> so yeah. um, one of the the reasons that I brought the two of you guys together, I mentioned a few times, is because I also wanted to hear and see how people who are passionate about something interact with each other. So, and it's awkward. I think part of it for me too was like, like I want to hear more. I don't know enough to contribute meaningfully to the conversation about football, right? But I do find it fascinating to observe two guys. So I'm curious about. When you guys meet other people who have a passion for the sport, like how do you engage? Like what is the, what's the thing that would like have you guys go hang out and talk more about this, if, if anything? I would say this is the first time, or not the first time, maybe one of the few times where I'm meeting someone I don't know previously and talk about football. What usually happens is um, I'll meet someone, 
out in the football field and we'll just start playing, kicking around. And then the talking comes later. But first, you know, we kick around. So so this is this is not new new, but it's not the typical situation for me. All right. So play first, talk later. <laughs> Paxson for you. Yeah, you tend to find out um first of all it really always starts with who do you support you know it's like who who is it that you're <laughs> and it can it can drastically change the conversation right there <laughs> uh it can either go forward or it becomes you know yeah <laughs> so like if i as a, as a liverpool supporter and and someone comes up to me and they're a manchester united supporter it's just all of a sudden like well you know there's a bit of animosity there for a little bit but it you know it, it's in good fun but it even that leads to conversation you know like and reasons to why they started to support united and why i support liverpool and stuff like that so usually the question was oh do you support anyone and why and then that usually you know leads us to you know football or backgrounds or whatever i think that's an interesting point because any sport i imagine has these moments of friction right if you don't support the same team or maybe what you thought went well for one team the other person feels like no it didn't so how do you have a meaningful conversation about something when you have such strong opinions about it? It's it's changed the football. I mean, Eduardo could probably have more of a say on this, but I mean, it was it, it was violent back in way back. I mean, it was bad. Where <laughs> you know, and, and he can probably tell stories and even the stories that my dad taught taught me or told me it was there was there was no cameras at the time there was no policing it was you know you let the fans took take care of what they had to take care of and that was it it was very laissez-faire like approach um until like it got really violent it was bad so like so now there's still that rivalry but it's not as violent as it was it's more of a you know intellectual debate (laughs) than it is um you know, us actually, you know, going at each other. So, uh, and, and that's what makes the game so great though. I mean, that, that if everyone agreed with you, it wouldn't be that great. I mean, the whole point of the passion is to want to beat the teams, you know, that you, that you don't like or your, your team's rivals and stuff like that. So um, it's changed a lot. So it's not a violent conversation. It's not like a, you know, me against you type thing, but it, it does create a tremendous competition for sure. What team yeah. You- um, I'll say about that, that, um, I suppose um, if you if I were to meet someone right off the bat in a footballing context, um, that's more of an iffy situation because you don't know if the other person is a reasonable person or not <laughs> uh, with whom you can have an interesting discussion. But if, if there's some other way in which you meet people, if I meet someone and, you know, we're having a conversation about, I don't know, whatever. It could be books. It could be, for example, oh, for example, um, I have um, two sets of parents who, um, whose children I teach um, at the school where I've been working. One of them is a Chelsea football club fan. The other one's an Everton football club fan. Um, so just in the course of conversation about 
academics and how well their daughters are doing, it comes up, hey, isn't that a you know, Chelsea jersey or is that an Everton football crest? And the conversation is different already because we know one another's reasonable people talking about ordinary things or important things already. So there's less likelihood that I'm going to think that you're a hooligan if I'm already talking to you and, you know, just getting along about important things. And then I say, Everton, you're not going to turn into some, you know, troglodyte and try to beat me over the head. Um, you're going to say, oh, you, oh, you're a, you know, whatever fan. Oh, okay. I'm sorry for you or whatever, you know, but it's not going to be ugly or terrible. It's just, it's just going to be, oh, why do you support them? How do you know about that? You know, whatever. It would be an interesting conversation. So that's my experience of that. Just being curious about, depending on the, on, the, on the reaction to whatever the comment or the question is, it sounds like both of you would just kind of tread cautiously. <laughs> um, Paxson, I'm curious, tell us a little bit about your professional experience. We didn't get a chance to chat about that yet, so. Um, yeah, so, I mean, journeyman's the gr a great word, I think. Um, I've been all over. Um, I've never made it quite to the top level that I like, aspired to, like the Steven Gerrards, and I mean, that, those are one-offs, but um, upon graduating from um, college, I just booked a one-way ticket to England. Um, I had dual citizenship, uh, so I was able to just go there and not have to worry about working or anything. And um, every year, so previous before, every year going um, going back, we would go, my father would take me to a Liverpool game through college and every year. And we had a family friend out there that every year we would meet up. And basically we slowly started to put these things into place. Like, Hey, listen, after graduation, Paxton's coming over and um, he might need a place to stay. And, you know, who do you know in the football world and stuff like that? Uh, so we, we, we made it work that when I did fly over, I would stay with this family friend for the time being and trying to get my feet underneath me. And uh, so I stayed with this beautiful, beautiful family, um, Turkish family in, uh, in Bolton in, near Manchester. And um, one day, once I'm over there, it's about two weeks, I'm about a week into to living there. My the family friend says, Hey, come down to the pub. You know, there's a lot of footballers there. There's a lot of, um, you know, people that know people in football, whatever, just come down. We'll network. We'll, we'll have a, you know, we'll have a drink, whatever. Um, so we do that. And there's a guy there by the name of Tony Coton. You might know Tony Coton. He was a, a goalkeeper, um, at maybe Manchester City back in the day, the eighties, nineties. Not familiar. Yeah, you, you'll know if you look him up. He's, he's really involved in football now, like behind the scenes. But basically, he said, "My friend is coaching a team up here tomorrow, and they're playing in a friendly behind closed doors. Do you have your boots?" And it was as simple. And I said, "Yeah, I got all my stuff. I'm here to, to pursue it." Um, so I went down to the game, had a really good showing. I played really well. And then the club invited me down to preseason for, um, you know, the, rem the remaining preseason. And this was with Hereford United, which, as you know, and, and like you said, in the FA Cup, um, the big name within England. They're not at the top level, but they've, they've what they're called, um, they did a really big game against Newcastle and they knocked out like a huge team and they got kind of famous from that. Mm. Um, so I ended up doing really well. And two weeks later, I signed my first professional contract. Um, and then typically when I tell the story, it's like, Oh my, like it just goes on this, 
trajectory, but for that club had so many issues that it was just what you don't see. What we see on TV is like this amazing. We, we see the 1% of what goes on, but what's amazing in, in, in football is that the leagues underneath it are still professional, but it's nothing like the top leagues. And right. um, my first club actually folded from financial reasons. Um, and we showed up to training one day just to give you the quick story. And there was locks on the gate and the, and the gaffer, the manager basically just said, Hey, you know, thank uh, guys. Just, I don't know what to tell you, but you know, we ran out of money and um, that's the end of that. And that was it. The club folded. And now I'm living in England with, I got nowhere to go. They've already late months on our payments because there was a huge, it was just so much corruption going into it. And this happens on the daily in, in England and at the professional level. So much corruption, so much crazy stuff. So I fly home, I fly home um, and then I just bounced around the leagues. I went back to England. I just started knocking on doors um, and I signed with, you know, a plethora of, of clubs throughout the throughout Europe and in America. Um, I signed with the New York Cosmos. Uh, I played mostly with the reserves. Um, but even that was a big, you know, big club, as you know, Eduardo with Pele and, and all these big names. So that was, a, that was a, a fun time. And then I most recently was in Sweden playing in the, in the third division. Um, and I loved it over there. It really suited my style of play. You know, it wasn't the English kick and run. It was very technical and I'm, I, I like to play that way. Um, and I was signed to go back in, in March and then, you know, 2020, the pandemic hit. So I'm a little bit at a standstill right now, but I love everything that football brought me. Um, and up to this point, it brought me to people like you and it brought me to an amazing next chapter that I'm pursuing now in executive coaching. So um, that's kind of been my quick story of my journey. And, um, you know, it's been an amazing uh, experience for sure. But, uh, you know, I've loved every minute of it. As hard as it's been, uh, it's been pretty cool. Why, why executive coaching? Well, what, what, where is that? How do you get into that? Oy, um, so, so when the <laughs> pandemic hit, a family moved close down the street from New York City, and she had a son that was playing soccer, about nine or 10 years old. Um, and they found out I was playing professionally, but I was at home. Um, so they asked if I could train their son. Uh, so I did, and we started to work together, and we created a really, really nice relationship. And um, at the end of the summer, they were moving back down to the city and I um, was having a conversation with, with the mom and she was like, you know, with soccer at a standstill, Paxton, what is it that you'd like to do? What is it that you'd like to maybe look next chapter to? And I said, you know, what? I really think I want to get into coaching. And at that time, she said she might have thought like X's and O's or, or coaching within the soccer world. But I said, no, not coaching X's and O's, but coaching people. And I really am fascinated behind what makes a person tick. Hmm. Um, I got my um, degree in finance. It was okay. I wasn't in love with it, but I was so much more attracted to what was, who was the person behind the sale? Or who was the person behind the role? I was just so attracted by what made a person tick. And even in the football world, when you have 11 different players on a pitch that come from different cultures, backgrounds, races, and ethnicities, it's like, how do you get the best out of that person? Because what I say to Eduardo, I can't say to Valerie, you know, I can't. And, and that is the same concept in an organization or in your own business or something like that. So I just knew that what I've learned from football could be applied. And when she said, oh my days, you have to speak to my aunt who's involved in this uh, Berkeley Executive Coaching Institute. 
Um, and so I had a great conversation with her and then I enrolled in the, the Berkeley Executive Coaching Institute and, and here I am 10 days later uh, after an intensive course, I'm working to get my certification now. But it just, everything I learned from football translated so well into this next chapter that I can kind of take what I've learned and put into, into, pra into practice. Um, the reason I asked is because I thought for a moment that maybe you would have made contact with the Johan Cruyff Institute or the mm -hmm. Johan Cruyff Academy. You know, Johan Cruyff, um, um, after his playing days, after his coaching time, um, retired altogether from um, management and decided to put all his footballing knowledge as player and coach into preparing people to be um, football managers, uh, into being uh, club managers, into um, developing themselves as organizational experts around football. And then if eventually, I think um, beyond football, just you know, the whole coaching and um, administration of sports and, 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 and beyond became interesting to him too. So I thought maybe you had gone to one of his courses, but, but you were directly, uh, you went directly through the Berkeley Mm. Uh, program so just curious I thought yeah and I think that's where it stems from because when you look at someone like Johan Cruyff who also completely changed the game and, and made you know Barcelona who they are today and, and stuff like that that was his philosophy and it was so contrarian to the way we did things before it was very kind of gung-ho run faster sprint faster but what we <laughs> realized was you're dealing with 11 human beings yeah. you know and I think um, I, ha I hate to quote a Manchester United legend, but he, he's a legend. Uh, Alex Ferguson said, Sir Alex Ferguson said, like, what people don't realize is you have 11, you don't have 11 robots on the field. You have 11 human beings that are dealing with all of life, you know, a limited amount of energy and, and you know, fatigue and things like that. You can't just tell them to run at 100% for 90 minutes and expect that to happen. So when I, and if you take that kind of, mentality and you bring it into any other sphere in this world it's it's true people have to carry what the world brings them and deliver on their job so i mm. just figured that you know soccer gave me that vision that knowledge and now i can apply it to you know all organizations so yeah johan i'm going to look into that too because i think he's, he's just he continues to change the game now you know still yeah. with his philosophy yeah. you're just yeah, awesome. on the surface and I, you know, I think that's the, the full circle um, that's that's how Paxton and I connected, right? Because I'm part of the faculty for the Berkeley Executive Coaching Program. And then knowing what I know about my brother, I was like, oh my gosh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So just curious, and I look, I welcome you guys to continue the conversation about football well beyond this moment in time, but I'm curious about how are you feeling now? No, first of all, two things. Before I ask how you're feeling now, what had you say yes to just being in a conversation in the first place? like going into it and as we started, how did you feel then and how did you feel now? I said yes out of curiosity to see um, how this program would work out for you and 
and and and being curious about Paxton. Like, uh, it's great to be able to talk to a professional. I hope it can continue. I think I froze or you froze. Hello? There we go. There you go. Hey. <laughs> was, All right. I heard Sorry everything. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, so no, yeah, the question is, how did you feel then when you said yes to this invitation versus how do you feel now? Yeah, so I said yes because it was um it, it felt like there was nothing to lose. Um and you know, we could have a great conversation about football. And like you said, I mean, once one we go down one thread, it, it just leads to a world of 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 conversation. So I know that that's the best thing about football is I mean, Eduardo said it before was the, the ball is, is multicultural, multilingual. I mean, as soon as the ball starts rolling, it doesn't matter where you're from or, or what happened, it, you just play. Um, so that's, that's really cool. So I, I just, this is feeling now, I just feel more affirm that if anyone needed football more in this world, like we, you know, we do now. Um, and just to have a conversation around it is so easy for us, you know, but I, I hope that anyone that watched this can take from it, you know, all you need is one common ground to open up a whole plethora of conversation. You know, it doesn't have to just be football. So I'm excited that, that the goal of your podcast was to do that and that it's showing, <laughs> it's bearing fruit. It so that's <laughs> yeah. cool. And Eduardo, you, I may have missed what you said because I was frozen for a bit, but what about for you? Oh, um, yeah, I said yes, because I was curious to see how this program, this new um podcast was going to work out for you and and because I wanted to meet Paxton not every day I get to talk to a professional footballer so that's always cool you know what was surprising awesome. what was surprising for you guys about this experience or the conversation about yourself or about what you've heard I love the vividness and that that and passion that oozes from eduardo <laughs> it was so cool like it was like just transported right back to where he was saying where he was what it was like and as he was as he was explaining i just i totally envisioned the way that it looked and i don't know if that's because i've seen it before or now all of a sudden like i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to compare both I'm gonna the actual footage and, and imagine but that that comes from that comes from it obviously having an impact you know in in his life and and for him to vividly explain it the way that he does you can't just do that without um without it actually having such an impact so i thought that was really cool yeah um um i guess the same the same for me as far as um uh, for example, that Liverpool scarf, that for me says everything. You know, not not here in the United States, we don't we don't we don't get that um, with with football, with soccer, as I say here. But um, you know, someone that has a football scarf from an English Premier team, that's okay. This is the real deal. All right, what's what's and on top of that, a professional footballer and having all those experiences in multiple places, that was um, not surprising in the sense like, oh, wow, but more like, we need to continue talking more. This is, uh, we haven't started, we, we, we haven't said anything yet. 
I haven't heard anything yet. I know. There's more. That's all. This is just to whet the appetite. <laughs> Skimming the surface. Um, and so then I'm also curious about what would you talk about next if you have, if and when you have the opportunity to talk, like what questions are still burning or just to add, just to ask the question right now, I'm just curious what pops in your head. Well, I would ask Paxton about um, all the different places where he's played. Um, I'd like to hear more about, you know, the story of that club that folded. Um, there's there's a lot <laughs> there's a lot of um the swedish club experience um um yeah just just yeah, all of that all of it new york cosmos i mean there's there's a lot <laughs> and what about for you Paxton? i'd like to share that too i think it, i think it would just lead to a bunch of cool stories you know um for, for both of us because i think when saying it, Eduardo go, oh, that reminds me of this thing. And then we could go all over the place. Uh, I would love to know what it was like growing up in, in Panama and mm. football down there, because I know football is big down there for sure. Um, and and how you kept that from as you immigrated to the United States and you and you held on to. I would love to go down, you know, your your family's history and and where you went and why and why football stayed so close to you. I mean, you said Alabama and like. You know, it didn't football didn't become big in America really until the last 10, 15 years where we could watch it on TV without having to jump through hoops to get it. And the fact that you were able to get games in Alabama at the time, it just didn't seem like soccer was being played down there. You know, it was only the American football down there and that's it, you know. So I would love to see how you, you know, kept the football so close to you throughout your journey would be really cool. Hmm. Um, I, I guess I'll say something briefly about that in Panama. When we were growing up, uh, football wasn't as big as it is now. Hmm. Um, it's become bigger and bigger and bigger. It's blown up. And now that um, Panama actually participated in its first World Cup in 2018, now it's, hmm. you know, uh, I'm not there, but I'm getting told by people there that it's, it's hit, you know, bonanza times, right? So, but Panama um, had always been represented in Copa America, right? And not always. It was kind of a hit miss kind of situation for Panama because um, most of the players, most of the players in the national team, did not have a strong league to play in in Panama. Um, dedicated footballers had to play in Costa Rica or in Colombia or wherever they could find a team that would have them. Mexico, for example, um, in the case of two players that actually made it into the Spanish league, um, the former um, Panamanian national team coach, um, um, a guy by the name of um, Deli Valdez, Julio Deli Valdez um, played for Malaga, Football Club de Malaga, for several seasons. And another guy um, played in uh, Tenerife, actually, uh, in the Canary Islands, and was coached by Jorge Valdano before Jorge Valdano went to coach Real Madrid. And, but those are the only, you know, those are the two best players. And that was in the early 90s. Generally speaking, Panamanian players tended to be 
for a long time. Now it's getting better. For a long time, it tended to be semi-pro, um, most of them, because that's what there was in Panama. There were accountants and school teachers and this and that, um, and then played football on the side. And they were good enough to be called up to the national team. And there was always a national team, just not terribly, terribly competitive. Um, but like I said, now it's, it's improving leaps and bounds. In my particular case, 1978 World Cup was the first, my first World Cup in the sense that I was conscious of it and I knew what it was and I was keeping up with it and, and trying to collect stickers at the time. But it was for more of a social thing, right? Uh, other friends in our street were doing the same thing and we could talk about it and occasionally kick around also. But it was in competition with baseball. Baseball was the big thing. And initially, um, um, once we moved to the United States, baseball was just the main sport. I just never stopped being interested in football and, and you know, keep up with it the best I could, reading things. Like I remember, you know, I totally missed the 1982 World Cup. I found out about the 1982 World Cup by reading, by reading a magazine, a Canadian magazine called McLean's. That did a fantastic report on the World Cup. Um, and I found that magazine just, I was just, I don't know, picking up things and just happened on it. I wasn't even looking for it. I didn't know that McLean's, I didn't know about McLean's and I didn't know McLean's published uh, a, a report on the 1982 World Cup. I just happened on it at the local library just before the 1986 World Cup. It was, it was random. Looks like yeah. football found you <laughs> so. in the most, the most random places. Maybe chlorine, I don't know, something just, you know, and that's how that happened. So, well, um, <laughs> look, gentlemen, <laughs> I can see I've only, we've only struck the match <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'm sure it'll burn bright in many ways, but I'm curious, what are you guys taking away from this conversation? Hmm. Uh, I'd say I, I'm just going to go back to the common ground that we found. Um, you know, we met less than an hour ago, um, just over an hour, I'd say now. And the space that football allowed, the, you know, the curtain to open. And now all of a sudden it's conversations. And then, you know, if we were in person, I'm sure it would lead to, okay, well, tell me about your teaching, you know, your, your teacher I hear and, and stuff like that. So um, that's what I just love about it. it. Just opens the door, just get your foot in the door with someone. Um, and, you know, in a world where we're so apart from one another, when it's, it's such an amazing entry point. Um, so I, I just, I'm glad that there's still that hope of football and hopefully that we can be in person and have this conversation <laughs> and, you know, soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Football opens the world. That's mm -hmm. that's. Football is one way that we can open the world. Yeah. That's definitely my experience. Um, okay. Yeah. Only wish we could kick around now. You know? <laughs>
Go outside and kick by myself. Okay. Well, I mean, you could do it social distancing if you did decide to get together. Good sport for that. But they say, uh, they say a football's best friend is a wall because he always passes back to you. So that's where I, that's what I've been doing for the last six months. I'm tired of my friend. I want to <laughs> play with other people. Good for you. Good for you. That's, well, how I, that's what I did immediately after Maradona scored that second goal against Belgium. I, that's where I went. I went to the wall, the soccer ball, and I used to whack that ball against the wall. And we never yeah, heard the end of windows. it ever again. We we actually have a picture of that wall. We were we were like in elementary <laughs> school, and recently showed a picture of the wall where, where we used to live on a military base. And yeah. luckily, we had a wall. Otherwise, we'd been arrested by the MPs by that point for disturbing the peace. <laughs> But gentlemen, sadly, the conversation, at least on the podcast, has come to a close. I want to thank you guys both so much, first of all. And I know it's, it's not easy. I don't take it for granted that you both accepted my invitation to meet someone completely random <laughs> and, and do it on such a public platform, but to also share part of your heart, right? You have obviously a, a heart for the sport and for your experiences and sharing that with all of us. So appreciate your generosity in having done that and then also and at least you know i know we haven't really gotten to the depth of the conversation you want to get to but at least being able to get curious enough to know that there's more to come hopefully in, in whatever form that takes so thank you guys so much for being here appreciate you any last words before we close thank you val thank you for for creating this space and i think you're really on to a a great uh podcast because it's it's brought two people together so quickly and i think the only downfall was that we only had this much time <laughs> and I um, but thank you and, and eduardo it was lovely ch chatting to you i hope that we can stay connected um and then just stay you know have a have a good chat about football and 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 follow each other's progress yeah um let's exchange uh, emails and all of that cool um and what i wanted to say is um um what occurs to me now is if we had met right if i ran into you valerie at a bookstore or someplace right and you're there with paxton you're both coaches you're both working um out of the berkeley coaching uh, cohort and i just happened to meet you there this meeting right here occurs to me like um running into you and then you introducing us and and then we start talking about what we what we talked about. So it seemed also very gen, uh, organic. It wasn't. Yeah. It didn't seem to me like a, like a put on kind of thing. It felt like it could be, you know, how it would work any other place. Mm -hmm. um, running into yeah people. Which is the intention, yeah. I think I'm a good matchmaker. I would say so myself. <laughs> well, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. And for those of you who listened in to this impassioned conversation about football and the periphery of football through this, uh, thank you so much for joining us as well. Know that you can subscribe to this podcast on not, notquitestrangers.com, or you can also go to our YouTube channel connect to Joy YouTube channel and subscribe there. And that way you won't miss a single episode. There is more to come. 
And as we continue to explore what it bring, what it is that brings people together and have meaningful conversations, I hope you join us not only in listening, but having your own meaningful conversations with others. Have a wonderful rest of the day, everybody. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Happy New Year. <laughs>